We come now to a time to read God's word. The Bible readings today are a selection of Proverbs from chapter 20, 26, and 27. The lazy person does not plough in season. Harvest comes, and there is nothing to be found. Do not love sleep, or else you will come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. The lazy person says, There is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the road. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy person in bed. The lazy person buries a hand in the dish and is too tired to bring it back to the mouth. The lazy person is wiser in self-esteem than seven who can answer discreetly. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, nor a crown for all generations. When the grass is gone and new growth appears and the herbage of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your servant girls. The New Testament reading comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 6 to 13. Now, we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labour, We worked night and day, so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. This is the word of the Lord. A while ago I had uh, lunch with someone. I asked him how his work was going. He said, oh, all right, a bit boring. COVID is messing with things and making it hard. June is slow. But a subordinate of his, let's call him Fred. Fred is a complete jerk. I hate him. And I thought, incredible, right there you have all the issues about work. There are three uh, key things about work that make it important for us to talk about and particularly to learn from the Proverbs. It's firstly a very peculiar, quite specific context. Now the relationships are structural rather than personal, at least initially. Uh, That is, you don't get to choose And they are often not that personally or emotionally close, uh, though they can have, of course, an enormous emotional impact. Also, they're hierarchical with clear power imbalances in operation. You're the boss of some people, perhaps. But almost always, you are the subordinate to someone else. Uh, We are mostly used to personal equal relationships, not structural authority relationships. And so sometimes come unstuck. 
Uh, second, work looms large in life, both for good and for ill. It takes an enormous amount of our time, perhaps 60% of our waking hours, and it enables the fundamental business of survival, food, clothes, shelter, no work, no capacity, and life pretty quickly shrivels down to very little. And thirdly, in work there can be a strong sense of contribution, or at least the hope for or possibility of contribution, making an impact. Uh, with technological and economic advances, work offers much more to us than survival. It is often the place where we derive satisfaction of accomplishing something. N not necessarily on a world scale, there aren't many of us who change the world. But the raising of company turnover, building or repairing something useful, educating people so that they can read or write or add up, healing people, and so on and so on in the myriad of occupations. It's an unusual context, structural hierarchical relationships. It looms very large in our lives and we can invest quite a deal of hope or intent in it. And that is an explosive mix. It makes work a real challenge, sometimes even more so as Christians, actually, with constraints on the range of behaviours that are open to you as well as hopes and dreams for what you might achieve. And so we're going to spend some time mining the Proverbs, what they have to give us on the issue of work. Uh, there is a difference between this sermon and the others in the series. Uh, in some senses, the others are about those building blocks of life, words, resources, next week relationships. These are the key things that that make up our lives. But, but this issue, the issue of work, is about a different order of things. Work is a context. It's an arena, a, a playground if you're fortunate, a jail if you're not. But nonetheless, it's a context in which those other things apply, even when you're working from home in a pandemic lockdown. It's a very important context, as I mentioned. We could choose other contexts, family, leisure, but we've gone for work. And so what I want to do is to make a, a crucial opening point about work, which I suspect will be familiar territory to many, and then to look at the ways in which the building blocks are relevant to the work context. So point number one, basic principle, it is God's will for you to work. It is God's will for each of us to work, and our work is part of our service to God. Now, it's crucial right at the outset uh, to say something uh, very, very important at this point, uh, which is that work is not the same thing as employment. Work includes employment, but the work of raising children, keeping a home, caring for relatives, th these are not employment, at least not usually. In other words, Although employment, what we call having a job, is part of work, work is much broader than that. And so whenever you, you hear talk of work, don't just think job. We need to get out of that unhelpful habit. Work is anything, you might say, which contributes to the good ordering of God's world. At some level, serving shalom, peace, goodness, beauty, truth. And as I say, it is God's will for you to work. And your work is part of your service to God. Uh, this flows from the Proverbs in two ways. You might remember back uh, a few weeks to our introduction to this collection of sayings, the, the, uh, the worldview of the Proverbs uh, that we explored, that this is God's world. 
that he made it, that he sustains it, that he's actively and intimately involved with it. And what's more, because the creator is good, so is his creation, made according to the pattern of his wisdom, woven through, as we saw in the video. Which means thirdly that the ways of the world are knowable, shot through with a rationality, a logic that comes from God. Which leads then to the conclusion that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And where this comes out in particular is the constant critique of the lazy person in the Proverbs. The person, that is, who won't work. Chapter 10, verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are the lazy to their employers. Or chapter 21, verse 25. The craving of the lazy person is fatal, for lazy hands refuse to labour. Or, or chapter 26, uh, verse 13, it's just so beautiful. It's that the lazy person says, there is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. Any excuse to mean that I don't have to get out of bed. Because as a door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy person in bed, side to side. The lazy person buries a hand in the dish. They didn't use implements so much, you use right hand. And too tired to bring it back to the mouth. It's a... The lazy person is wiser in self-esteem than seven who can answer discreetly. It's very important to understand one of the implications of this. It means that in a Christian community, workers are not second-class citizens by any means. We need to hear this loud and clear. That There can be a kind of sub-Christian dualism to make a big deal of the distinction between those who supposedly do God's work, spiritual work and spiritual elements of life and, and the non-spiritual elements of life. I, I heard a little while ago about a newsletter from a Christian ministry organisation to teachers which, which suggested that teachers were only really serving God when they taught kids about Jesus, not when they taught about geography. But the problem with this is that it makes the world two-tier. There's the spiritual stuff. That's the important stuff. And anything which makes a contribution to that is to be honoured, is, is valued. And then there's the other stuff, worldly stuff, which is all essentially a waste of time and destined for the scrap heap. But you see, of course, the whole worldview of the Proverbs is against this. The point of the Proverbs is that this is God's world, all of it, an engagement with this world according to the wisdom of God with which he created the world is itself a good thing. And do you see what that means? All who work, all who work are doing God's work. We see the same perspective in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, slaves Obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. That last phrase is, is such a, a thunderbolt for us. It's so glorious. It's not only about the way that you work, being moral about your work practices, not stealing the stationery and so on and so on, but the work itself. You work as done for the Lord, 
not only for your boss. And therefore, the apostle says what that means is you do it wholeheartedly rather than half-heartedly. You put yourself into the task. And what motivates is that we'll receive an inheritance not, not only from your boss or your job. Actually, sometimes you may not get much from them at all. But from the Lord as your reward. And again, this is not only in the, in the helping industries. It's easy to feel that teachers and doctors and nurses are close to the heart of God's work since they're about people and helping people. But the point is that God upholds the whole world, including its financial and technological and physical infrastructure. And so being a part of that human enterprise is also doing God's work as an accountant, as an, as an engineer, even as a vet. All join with God in his work in this world. But there's a second aspect of this point, which is that not only is the work of itself of intrinsic value good in itself, but it's also good in what it enables, and that is self-sufficiency. And, and even more than that, not just looking after yourself and, and your family, but the capacity then to go beyond that, to be generous and to be hospitable and not unnecessarily dependent on others. So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14, from the fruit of the mouth, one is filled with good things and manual labor has its reward. Or 18, verse 9, one who is slack in work is close kin to a vandal. And the New Testament again, similarly, whoever does not provide for relatives and especially for family members has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever or very straightforwardly, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labour and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the need. It's kind of reverse thievery, right? Thieves not just stop thieving, but then they give to the needy. That's how it works in God's economy. And then there's a very strong word from the apostle in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labour we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we did not have the right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command... Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies and not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Now as regards uh, what work to do, there's, there's very little in the Bible on that at all. In, in fact, it's a relatively modern and uh, perhaps even now for some rare luxury to have that choice. Most people in the world and across history haven't had that choice. Sometimes not even the prospect of more than bare survival, subsistence. Uh, for most of us now, our work is not merely to survive. It offers much greater emotional and financial rewards. And, and I guess that too is a function of wisdom. Knowing your abilities, understanding your temperament, knowing what your capacity is, accessing what your passion is. 
It's a beautiful thing to be in a place that is right for you. I was talking to a mate the other day who said he'd caught himself enjoying his work. And and he found that it came as something of a surprise to him. It hadn't been that way in previous jobs. But boy, it felt good. Whatever your work, though, work you must. And what that means is that every day of work is part of your spiritual life, fulfilling part of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You serve the Lord Christ in your work. And that changes it. That changes it. So, second then, what is it to work wisely? As I said, I think the uh, three key factors that characterise the work context, first, the nature of the situation is that it's got up-down relationships that are not chosen, but are hierarchical with large power imbalances. Second, that we spend a great deal of time there, and so it's all the more intense, for better or worse. And third, that it's a context full of hopes and aspirations, both noble and perhaps not so noble. These these are the textures about our work life. And, And Although the world of the Proverbs economically was obviously very different from our own, we have now very significant technological and economic advances which provide us with that choice beyond imagination in former ages, the Proverbs do reflect on these same features. And especially in the relations between people and their king, slaves and masters. And we're going to look at what wisdom there is for us there. So first then, wise words at work. Uh, The very fact that uh, you'll need to cope with people at work for a long time and that you're subject to the power of others means that you need to take particular care at work with your words, especially about the competence or private circumstances of others. The, The intensity, the proximity, they're just too explosive for you to have loose lips. So Proverbs chapter 30 verse 10, do not slander a servant to a master. Don't slag off about people at work. Or the servant will curse you and you'll be held guilty. Or 25 verse 7, what your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbour puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbour directly and do not disclose another's secret. Or else someone who hears will bring shame upon you and your ill repute will have no end. Uh, No direct and straightforward honesty in the context of power is crucial. 16 verse 13, righteous lips are the delight of a king. And he loves those who speak what is right. The same is true also for those of you who might be bosses and have authority over other people. 17 verse 7, Fine speech is not becoming to a fool, still less is false speech to a ruler. Also patience. For for quite a while I had a boss who was always against any new idea that I might dream of. It didn't matter what it was, it didn't matter how good the idea was, if it was new, he was against it. That's how he was and he was the boss. But it, but it meant I learned not to expect anything to get up at its first hearing. Instead, to expect to be sort of bagged out and ridiculed for it. They call it managing upwards. For you see, verse 20, chapter 25, verse 15, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded. And a soft tongue can break bones. 
And 22 verse 11, those who love a pure heart and are gracious in speech will have the king as a friend. So, wise words at work. Secondly, wise relationships at work. We'll come to relationships in more depth next week. Uh, time and again, I've heard people say that the best and worst parts of work are the people that you work with. Uh, certainly, uh, I found that to be the case, uh, the, the best bits, that is. Um, and, and I really do mean it. There's great joy to be had in being on good terms with one's colleagues to laugh and to cry, to dream, to mess up together. But of course, that's by no means the case for all people. And so we need to be aware of how to manage our relationships with our colleagues wisely. First, then the Proverbs uh, give us this wisdom. Don't invade your boss's turf. Uh, don't um, have an overly ambitious bent. On the contrary, there's a, a straightforward awareness of the value of cultivating that relationship. 23 verse 1, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you have a big appetite. You see what I'm saying? saying don't eat his food. Don't cut his grass. Do not desire the ruler's delicacies, for they are a deceptive food. Or 27 verse 18, anyone who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. And anyone who takes care of a master will be honoured. Mind you, that's balanced by 29 verse 26. Many seek the favour of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that one gets justice. In fact, in, in general, there is great wisdom in minding your own business, in doing the right thing, not buying into the fights of other people. 26 verse 17, like somebody who takes a passing dog by the ears. <laughs> Don't you love that? You ever seen a dog? You try to grab a dog by the ears, you know what it does to you? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, just like that is one who meddles in the quarrel of another. Or chapter 20 verse 2, the dread anger of a king is like the growling of a lion. Anyone who provokes him to anger forfeits life itself. At the same time, you may currently be or in the future find yourself to be in a position of power and responsibility over others. And it's, it's very important how you go about exercising that power. The, the, the key here is justice. I spoke to a boss once, uh, responsible for a staff of uh, 50 or so, it was a, a multi-million dollar organisation, but two extremely junior staff of equal rank were being treated unequally. One was getting more money and better conditions than the other. And, and this boss said it was, it was sort of weighed down, everything was going well, and, and yet he was weighed down by this situation. He said it was like the smell of a dead rat under the floorboards. It poisoned the whole atmosphere until he got in there himself, jumping down several runs of management and sorted it out. There were major workplace relations difficulties. Justice. When you have power, justice, upholding what is right and eliminating what is wrong or inequitable is crucial. 16.12, it is an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. 20 verse 8, a king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Or 2026, 20, a wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. Or 2028, 20, loyalty and faithfulness preserve the king and his throne is upheld by righteousness. 
Now, of course, this is, this is uh, all easy to sort of lay out at one level, but it's very difficult to do in practice. Uh, what do you do if you find out that one of your subordinates is making false promises to get deals? You, you often don't know about that directly. You hear it from someone else, which makes it all the more tricky. It takes real courage to confront people. There are genuine risks. There's no guarantee that it goes well. Some time ago, a friend of mine in tertiary education realised that some students had actually failed, but they were being given preferential treatment by a colleague and were incorrectly passed in their exams. And it was at the risk of her job that she raised the issue and then pursued it when others were just trying to sweep it under the carpet. Mind you, of course, that doesn't mean being the moral police force of the firm, endlessly on the prowl for unrighteousness and taking stands every second day. One final thought, what about sharing the gospel at work? Well, in one sense, uh, it's about the words that you speak, but, but actually I've left it till now because I think it's more a function of the relationships that you have than what you say. And, and in two ways... Um, how you conduct yourself in relationships can often speak more powerfully than words and the rightness of time to speak up will be a product of that relationship. I remember uh, years ago I worked as a part-time accountant. I was a young guy. There was an older, world-wearied uh, colleague who worked uh, with me there and, and you know, I was young and, and keen and we'd talk about spiritual things during work time and mostly what he said was just to shut up and get on with the work. He was right. We'd get to lunch at the RSL club across the road and, and he was interested enough but we actually had very little relationship at all and that limited the value and hearability of what I had to say. And especially when he located a big error in the books of the company that we were winding up and when I was mistakenly given credit for it, I didn't object. So no, 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 it wasn't me, it was, it was him. I failed to make sure that he was recognised and I suspect that that spoke to him far more powerfully than any words that passed between us. So wise words, wise relationships, and then wise wealth. Briefly, the issue of financial reward and incentive at work. There is recognition of the financial rewards that work provides and the benefits that it enables in the Proverbs, and these are good things. Chapter 10, verse 4, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or 27 verse 23, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds for riches do not last forever nor a crown for all generations. When the grass is gone and new growth appears and the herbage of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment for your servant girls. So hear the wisdom. Yes, diligence and expertise bring their rewards. If you do well, the chances are that you'll get offered more at work, more responsibility, more money. But watch out that this doesn't become an addiction, that it doesn't become your master. Remember the relativity of the pay packet, 23 verse 4, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Be wise enough to desist. When your eyes light upon it, it's gone. For suddenly it takes wings to itself, flying like an eagle toward heaven. It's all a bit terrifying, isn't it, really? But remember, 
21 verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. Even the king's heart. He turns it, the Lord, wherever he will. Let's draw these threads together. What we're learning here is that in being a worker, you join not only with your colleagues, but also the Lord Jesus Christ and God himself. It's very interesting. After healing a man on the Sabbath, uh, Jesus reflected on and justified when attacked his action by saying, my father is still working and I also am working. God still works. That's his work of preservation after his work of creation and in part he does it through us, through our work, but there's even more than that because his work is in Jesus to restore the world in life and peace, to bring grace and hope to those who are wearied by the changes and chances of this fleeting world. And that work is the most fundamental of all, to raise people up from death to life, to fill their hearts with all joy and peace in believing. And as we more and more drink deep of the work of Jesus so our hearts will be filled with him. We'll be able to put work in its right place, neither neither despised nor idolised, neither a meaningless drudgery nor the meaning of life. And we'll be more and more able to work wisely, joining our Father and our Lord in their work as we serve the Lord Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, you've set us in this place, in this time, and given us work to do. And our experience of that work is is vastly varied. Uh, For some, there is joy and satisfaction. For others, there is deep frustration and pain. We pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would meet us in our work. And that the reality that in in the work that we do, whatever that is, whether employed or not, that we serve you would actually function for us and make a difference for us in our experience of work. And we pray, enable us to learn from the Proverbs. Make us wise as those who work. And our Lord, we praise you with all our hearts that before we ever work for you, you have worked for us in faithfulness and sacrifice. You've borne our sins, the fierce heat of the judgment that we deserve so that we can be free. Strengthen us in this, we pray. And send us out into your world to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen.